Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. An iconic Premier League general in the dugout, a talismanic local hero leading the line, a club aiming for style rather than merely survival. As Crystal Palace move into the top half, we check in on the South East London revolution that's ongoing at Selhurst Park. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. I think it's quite nice for the Premier League to have Patrick Vieira involved. He's the best Palace player we've ever had. There's always someone that comes out late in, in a World Cup squad and he said that Eze could be that person. We've got a team that's developing, we've got a manager that's developing. There'll be growing pains. Everybody will endure them, of course, but there'll also be some wonderful moments. These are all things that are geared towards future success. We've never had it this good before. Well, joining me to dissect and discuss the Eagles' start to the new season are the Athletics' Dom Fifield and our Crystal Palace writer, Matt Woosnam. Welcome on board. Uh, fresh from Tuesday night's win over Wolves, coming from behind, showing resilience. It was typical Palace, really. Um, Matt, I'm going to start with you because it felt like it was a result that was... It, it felt a, a bit like a tipping point, that if you'd lost, you were looking over your shoulders but you won and you are continuing that that impressive start to the season. Only three defeats and what? They came against Arsenal, Man City and Chelsea. So it's not a bad start, is it? Yeah, I think it's easy to look at the table. I mean, Patrick Vieira spoke about Palace being in a false position in the league table. And he also spoke about Leicester when Palace drew at Leicester with a, a relatively you know, okay performance. But I think you know, he's certainly focused on the results now. And, you know, Palace have actually, when you look at it, done okay. Um, they've come from behind. They've seemed to have addressed some of the issues that have plagued them this season so far. And last night was a, a good win for them. And Don, what, what are some of those issues? Because obviously, you know, people from outside the Crystal Palace bubble will go, well, hang on a minute, this is, they're going well. I've mentioned the fact that they've only lost against, you know, some of the big guns. They're, they're picking up points. They're heading in the right direction. What are some of the issues that, that Crystal Palace fans are talking about that they might not be so happy about? I think there's a, certainly questions about the, the balance of the squad. It still feels a, a squad and a setup slightly in almost metamorphosis. It's, it's, it's transitioning towards something else. And I think, there was probably an element of frustration to a certain extent about the summer window. They, they made some good signings, uh, but of those signings, only one of them's actually started a Premier League match. And, and Chit Dekure, the midfielder, is a, is a key man. But he, he can often feel a bit overwhelmed in there because he's basically being asked to do the job of two or three. Um, so there's you look at you look at the balance of it. It is, it does it is genuinely balance. Um, it's it's a team that's that has got very good promising players and uh, dotted around the place. A lot of them are quite extravagant talents, luxury players, you might argue. And you put them all on the pitch and you sort of expect them to 
sprinkle their stardust everywhere and 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 dazzle and rip teams to pieces but that's not really their game there's a lack of ruthlessness at one end which has meant that palace they they don't really put teams to the sword and finding that 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 balance between having some kind of defensive solidity in midfield and allowing your Elise's, Eze's, Zaha's, even like Schlup and Ayu and Edouard, et cetera, to, to go and express themselves off a platform has, has, has been a bit elusive. I think they're getting there. I think they are getting there. And I think the, the second half performance against Leeds and really a 20-minute performance against Wolves showed what they can do when they're in, they up the intensity and they up the tempo and they 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 do you know discomfort opposing teams with their movement etc but yeah it's a it's an ongoing process i don't think anybody's no, nobody's hiding away from from that it's it's not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination but matt it feels as if it's it's heading in the in the right direction and and obviously that result against wolves just sort of solidified the the start to the season what 13 points and and can look up and that was what you know, Steve Parrish uh, was saying after the game, and we'll discuss off the field a little bit later in the pod, but it seems as if now you just seem to be keen to be aspirational rather than than worried about what might be over your shoulder. And the fact that you saw, you know, Eze, someone who's who's come in and is and is looking very good and potentially, you know, maybe, maybe an outside chance for for the World Cup, scoring almost the the future. And then Wilfred Zahar, who is that that talismanic figure, putting the the cherry on the on the top. It shows that that transition within the squad is is working. Is that fair? I think yeah, I think it is. I think that you know there's a lot still to to be changed, as Dom sort of said. There's a lot to work on. There's a lot to 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 happen and and to get that balance right. The midfield has been a big problem for Palace this season, but you know they're free unbeaten now. They don't need to look over their shoulder at this point. They will be looking up the table rather than behind. I think had they lost against Wolves, there would have been an element of pressure on the team to get a win again after that, you know, goalless draw with Leicester with one shot on target. So there are things that need addressing, but certainly it is a case of of being aspirational. Um, and I think that shows in what Vieira said about Eze as well, in in the fact that he believes that he has a chance of making the England squad for the World Cup. I don't think it was perhaps as strong as as maybe it might be interpreted as as him saying that as they will go to the World Cup, but you know he said that there was there there is a late runner. There's always someone that comes out late in in a World Cup squad, and he said that as they could be that person. And I think you know we saw last night what he can do in those moments. He's got that brilliance and that quality. He's still coming back from injury, I think it probably will be just too soon for him, but. You know, that's what Palace need if they're going to push up the table. They need those moments of brilliance, um, and he certainly showed it. Do you concur with that, Dom? That, that that it is maybe perhaps too soon for the for the full squad for for Qatar in what a month's time. For somebody that that that's on what on the pitch delivers such wonderfully timed passing, his timing off it isn't great. In as much as you know, it's <laughs> poor lad is named. Was going to be named in a provisional squad for the Euros and and ruptures his Achilles on the same day and you know discovers back in the changing room at the training ground that that he he would have been called up otherwise and and now this this burst of form I mean, last night was his best performance for for a while and the second half I suppose you could say at Leeds against Leeds as well but but it's, it has probably come a bit too late I I think I don't think Southgate will will chop and change too much in terms of his attacking 
players, unless he loses somebody through injury. I mean, there's always that possibility. Um, but I mean, I'm at the moment Southgate's focus is really at the other end of the pitch. And actually, weirdly, I think Mark Gay of all the, the the Palace players is is most likely to make that that trip to Qatar because of the severe options for Southgate at centre half. But but Eze's definitely got a a future at an international level if he if he maintains his progress. I mean, it's it's such a shame that he had such a long period out of the game with the Achilles problem because actually he'd stepped up pretty well in pretty alien circumstances into the Premier League, you know, behind closed doors for a year, um, had had shown real flashes of quality. And I think he would have stepped up that development over the following year, but ended up in, in rehabilitation. And and it's just great to see he's got, you know, his, his smile is infectious. His play is sumptuous at times. And the, the, the weight of passing in the, in the both both balls actually played first ball by Eze for Edouard and Edouard's pass across which completely cuts out Max Kilman in the middle for for Palace's winning goal and Zaha's finish yesterday was that yeah, was absolutely glorious Edouard for Palace now Bill Zaha big chance Wilfred Zaha completes the comeback let's talk about Wilfred Zaha because he is the you know the identifiable person that everyone knows, loves, hates, whatever. Um, you, you love know. talking about Wilfred Zaha. We have <laughs> well, long WhatsApp conversations about Wilfred. We do, we do indeed. <laughs> but he is one of those players that no side likes playing against because he is always up for it. Yes, he can blow hot and cold, but it seems as if he's sort of grown into this this position of being the leader of the side. Yes, there are always discussions about is this going to be his last contract is he going to be leaving it seems to just be the the perennial um issue with Wilfred Zaha but where where does he stand at the club and what is his standing at the moment Matt the the first thing to say is that he's only I think 12 goals away from 100 for Palace um to get that would be an incredible achievement I think every Palace fan would would love to see that and I think that kind of brings us on to the to his contract situation. He is out of contract in this summer. This is the first time where you look and you think you just don't know what's going to happen with him. Is he going to stay? Is he going to move? You know, it, it's really difficult to to predict what's going to happen with him. Whereas in the past, he's he signed those new contracts at every opportunity. You know, he signed sort of five year deal, and that's stopped him from moving, and that's kind of prevented him from reaching what his overall ultimate aim is, which, you know, is to play at the very highest level. He believes that he can play at the highest level, what you know, at the highest club level. But he is he has potentially got an opportunity to go at the end of this season on a free transfer elsewhere. And there will surely be suitors for him. But Palace won't ever give up on trying to convince him to stay. There's certainly you know, an element of of that in in the situation. Will he? Will they be able to persuade him to stay? He is their highest earner. He will be thirty this year, but he's he's in the form of his life this season. Um, he scored he, last season was his best goal scoring season for Palace. You know, there will be games where he goes missing. There will be games where he gets too frustrated. You know, he was subst- he was substituted against Leicester, which is a rarity for him, but. He was excellent against Wolves last night. And I think that just sort of shows his character. And and he is a big part of this team. He is becoming a leader in this team. And when you look at Saha of a few years ago, three, four, five years ago, that 
that uh, what what people consider attitude on on the pitch you know the sort of the frustration which is is born out of this innate desire to win and this kind of sense of perceived injustice at everything if he loses the ball if he gets tackled if he gets fouled if he doesn't score that's an injustice to him everything anything that goes wrong is an injustice for him and he has this burning desire to prove that wrong so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens but certainly he's in really good form this season he's the best Palace I've ever had Adam he's the best Palace player we've ever had I used to think Ian Wright was the best player. I, I used to worship Ian Wright as a Palace player, but but Wilfred Zaha has eclipsed him um, just because... And, and the fact that he's local, the fact that he is he grew up within the shadow of Celeste Park, effectively, and was a product of the, the academy, that makes him a talisman. And, and I, I suspect that look, it's going to be an intriguing few weeks in the build-up to, to January... And then if nothing's been resolved by then, January will be a nerve-shredding month for Crystal Palace supporters because at any point he could sign a pre-contract agreement to go elsewhere in the summer on a free transfer. He's not going to leave in January. He'll, he'll still be a Palace player at the end of this, or for the second half of the season. But Matt's right. We, we just don't know where it's going to go. I mean, my instinct would be that he would stay. But, but you know, if somebody comes in and offers the chance to go and play in the Champions League, you know, he would probably take it. And quite rightly, because he's probably merited it. Well, he has merited it. He's he's outstanding. That, that second half performance yesterday, having, because he was frustrated at halftime, as most of the Palace players were. It was, there was no tempo to their game. But but in the, in the opening 10 seconds of the second half, he, he moved from the left flank into the central area and Wolves just, from that moment on, they were panicked. And he, he, he was integral in that goal, he scores a second goal. He's just, he's just a wonderful, wonderful player to watch when he's one of your own, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it, 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 the, the, the partnership of Crystal Palace and Wilfred Zaha seems to work. And obviously, years and years ago, you know, the, the move to Manchester United didn't work out. There have been those links year on year for the last, well, for the last five years. You know, him moving on and getting this move to a to a higher level. Has it got to the point now where he is almost? not transferable as a as a as a being to another club because it won't necessarily work or has he matured to the point now where he might be attractive to a side that's just looking for that that x factor and he will be able to take the the pressure of that move do you, do you think it, it now is the time or or the the ship has sailed Matt I think it's a, it's a really difficult one to to know but I think I think really with with him he is mature. He is so much more mature now than he was. He really has changed the way that he plays the game. He's more efficient, as he likes to say himself. Um, he's not this player who takes everyone on, tries to beat five, six men, and then you know score himself. You know he's much more understanding of the team game. But whether that would translate into a a, a team competing in the Champions League, competing in the Europa League, I think, you know, that certainly remains to be seen. And, you know, I, I kind of feel a little bit like with Yannick, I sort of talk about Yannick Bellassi moving to Everton. Yannick Bellassi at Palace, Palace fans understood and and there was not really a lot of pressure on him at Palace because he didn't cost them a lot of money. He helped them get promoted into the Premier League and then he moved on. They understood that what they expected from him was different to what 
Everton fans would have then expected from him. And I feel like that may well be the case with Saha, that wherever he goes, there will be a, a burden of expectation on him. I know there is at Palace, but it's different. He's done so much for Palace. And there's also the element of what he wants and what he's comfortable with. And you know, I think part of the reason it didn't work out at Manchester United was because Croydon is his home and I'm sure he can adapt to another another place, but it is a big thing to to move elsewhere. Whether or not another Premier League team would move for him and whether he would go to another Premier League team, I'm not sure. It may be that he would end up moving abroad, but then at the same time, Croydon is his home and he's very settled in London. So, you know, I but on the pitch, you know, he is definitely matured. I think that would be an attractive proposition to a lot of teams. The Croydon, the Croydon big sell is is I've never heard it. I've never heard it being such a <laughs> such a draw and such a pull. But I'm, I'll take that. It's good. I like it. Matt, Dom, thank you very much for now. Coming up, we'll get into uh, Palace off the pitch, stadium facelift planned, and an icon of the Premier League era cutting his coaching teeth. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of the Totally Football Show. It's a show about football, and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games, Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast Derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Karl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from Better Help Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have players who are capable of scoring goals and it's important for us is to build on those kind of performances and, and for myself to be really demanding on them. Let's talk about Patrick Vieira. He is obviously an icon of the Premier League, one of the most celebrated midfielders we've ever seen. And he's looking, from the outside looking in, like a really, really good manager at the moment and seems to be holding his own alongside some other former Premier League icons, the likes of Lampard, Gerrard in the uh, in the managerial stakes. Does he get enough credit, Dom? Does he get enough credit? I think he gets... I think he's absolutely worshipped by Crystal Palace supporters, so he gets plenty of credit there. I think there's a... Look, it's, I think it's quite nice for the Premier League to have Patrick Vieira involved, given that his iconic status within that division, so to speak, albeit from his Arsenal days. I think Palace have benefited from his involvement. I think he's really bought into the club that he's he's come to coach. He identifies with a lot of the issues that a lot of the academy kids will be going through. There's a, I don't know, the, the, you know, the kid from the banlieue of Paris or whatever, and the kids who are growing up in South London and that sort of melting pot of South London. I think that I think he connects on that level. I think for the a generation of players, people like Michael Olise, like Chick Dakure as well. I think seeing a player like Patrick Vieira in charge of the team and in charge of the club is inspirational. I think it's a draw. I think that's one of the reasons that the Palace have managed to to conduct this rebuild so successfully because people want to work for him and experience what life is like with him. In terms of his coaching and managerial ability, I think that's very much a work in progress, a bit like the team, to be honest. I, I, think, I think if you actually watch some of the Palace games, you know, Palace can be their own worst enemy sometimes. And it's some of that stems from managerial decisions. I mean, you know, Matt and I have both ripped our hair out at various points of the season over substitutions during games and, and the lack of man management. And, and while there is a, Patrick Vieira's argument is they, they lack experienced bodies and he's right in that. To, to a certain extent in that front. They don't make it easy for themselves sometimes with the sort of unnecessary disruption of of pre-game tactics during the match itself. Um, I mean, Brentford being the prime example, a, a team that Palace were beating um, and they just reacted poorly to a few substitutions and completely surrendered the initiative. But, you know, that's to be expected. I mean, <laughs> Patrick Vieira is, a, okay, he came back to, with some, a spell at, in New York and a his time at Nice, but he's not the finished article. He's not a manager that's got the experience of, dare I say it, Matt, Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson, who was stuck in his ways and they were frustrating and the people got very frustrated with it and I completely understand that, but he knew how to do the job and he knew how to get the result that they needed and which was survival during his, his time and he did that. With Patrick Vieira, it's it's 
it's sort of a leap into the unknown and we're still sort of he's still working out how we do it tactically the balance of the team that's also down to him and if he was a finished article to be perfectly honest he wouldn't be managing crystal palace so um it's 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 quite a nice setup we've got a team that's developing we've got a manager that's developing there'll be growing pains everybody will endure them of course but there'll also be some wonderful moments and the style of play and the way he's been embraced by the club and the supporter base uh, has been refreshing. And that is that was necessary, wasn't it? After after the the Roy Hodgson era, obviously since then Roy Hodgson went to Watford and and it didn't go to plan. Apart from the day that he returned to Selhurst Park, he, and he was able to have a, a warm reception from the Crystal Palace <laughs> fans, which uh, which went down like a lead balloon as far as Watford fans were concerned on the day that they were relegated. But it needed to needed to happen, didn't it, Matt? It needed to move forward if the aspirations of the of of Steve Parish and the and the hierarchy at the club were were going to be met. There needed to be a reset. Is that right? Undoubtedly, I think. Things had sort of begun to, I think COVID didn't help. I think that period where nobody could go and watch the team and everyone had to watch on TV and, you know, no one really enjoyed anything at at any club, really. Um, I don't think that helped, but I think things had gone a little bit stale and it needed a bit of a refresh. It needed a revamp. And from a financial perspective as well, Palace needed to move in a different direction under Hodgson, you know, they signed all of this experience. They signed players coming towards the end of their careers who, you know, run higher wages, who had no resale value. And that, that worked to an extent, you know, every season that got them where they needed to be. They stayed in the Premier League and that is always going to be the first objective of Palace. I'm sure that Steve Parrish in time will will want that to be a an objective that they forget about and actually look up, look up rather than down. But for now, that is still their their ambition is to first and foremost stay in the Premier League. But what they're doing now with the younger players signing players who have resale value, they're they're building a more sustainable football club. They've invested twenty million pounds in the academy. That was you know their flagship project to do. They're going to be redeveloping the stadium. These are all things that are geared towards future success. And you know, the recruitment last summer, as in the first summer that Fiera took over, was absolutely outstanding. And it got praise from a lot of people. It got praise from you know, you see the likes of Mark Gay, Joachim Anderson, Michael Elise, and Palace are a completely different team under Vieira, but you know, there are issues, as as Dom said, and it is a work in progress. But for me, what, what actually is most interesting about Vieira is that Patrick Vieira, the player, the Arsenal player, doesn't really exist in his mind in the same way anymore. He puts it in a box. He doesn't like to talk about it, at least publicly, um, with his players. He doesn't really talk to them as Patrick Vieira, the former player. He talks to them as Patrick Vieira, the Crystal Palace manager. I think that's really interesting. I think that also kind of points to him buying into the project, buying into things. He's not here yet. He's, yet there is an element of his reputation as a player, but he wants to be judged on how he is as a coach and a manager and not just rest on that reputation that he had as a player. He doesn't like to talk about his career as a player unless it's relevant. Um, and I find that really interesting. So basically what you're saying, he's not like Glenn Hoddle on the, uh, on the training pitch. He's not <laughs> going to say, you know, just do as I do, um, which, is, which, is a, which is a good thing. In terms of the, the stadium, you mentioned that 
there, there, Matt. I, I always look at Selhurst Park, and this isn't simply down to a, a, a you know a Watford a Watford slant, but I always see it as a competitive advantage because it's not a particularly nice place to go, and the atmosphere can be you know very good in terms of the of the home side when when they're rocking the Homesdale Road end, you know always vociferous proper sort of ultras and all that sort of stuff. They've got that one lick. They know what they're doing. Moving away or redeveloping, what is the what is the latest for people that haven't been completely dialed in with it? So Palace are looking to redevelop Celeste Park. Realistically, moving away, they very briefly explored that about 10 years ago to move to potentially back home, if you like, to Crystal Palace Park. But they quickly sort of shelved that idea to, to look at redeveloping Celeste Park. And that is now very much underway in terms of the planning process. Um they are looking to rebuild the main stand and they're looking to sort of fill in some of the corners. The capacity is going to rise by around 8,000, but most of that is sort of hospitality corporate. I think you know, the idea is basically to improve the stadium's facilities so that they can you know, make more money, essentially, to become more sustainable. They did originally put a planning application in in 2018, I think it was, that was unanimously approved by Croydon Council. However, there was no, they didn't sign a particular, uh, what's called the Section 106 agreement, which is an agreement to make community improvements, to fund improvements in the community. I think the reason for that was primarily because they were focused on redeveloping the academy. And they, the problem that Palace have is that they're in a, an area which has some social housing on the footprint of the new stadium and that needs to be they need to give some notice to buy those houses and those houses also need to be replaced uh there's also the issue of the Sainsbury supermarket which is on the site which owns some of the land that Palace will need to purchase in order to redevelop the stadium so there's a lot that needs to be done but there's a planning committee hearing on Thursday evening, which I expect will confirm and approve the redevelopment. So I think we're getting close to Palace actually starting to do some work on on the stadium, but there's a, a lot of things that need to be done. So it will be a little while before work actually begins, but they're very much committed to the redevelopment of the, of the stadium. And this does kind of herald in a new era, a new academy, a new direction, and a new and and well a redeveloped stadium and where's the money coming from dom what's the, what's the, who's who's paying for for all this this hope and expectation well not the uk taxpayer like at west ham <laughs> um it look palace have got wealthy backers and wealthy owners they're, they're bored they're effectively a four-man board if steve parish is the public face that we always see that the, the, the local businessman made good but in uh John Texter, who who came on board and has about forty percent stake in the club, he, I mean, his, a lot of his his injection of funds buying those shares, uh, I think, was spent in the transfer market in the summer of twenty twenty one. But you know, he has potentially got some financial muscle. But there's David Blitzer and Josh Harris, uh, again, American investors who own significant stakes in the in the club, and there are lots of minority stake owners as well and and we're led to believe that the money's in place for this uh, redevelopment so that shouldn't impact too much 
on on everyday life at, at Crystal Palace because, as we keep saying, it's the metamorphosis is ongoing within the playing squad. But it's an interesting dynamic, the boardroom at Palace. It's almost like the elephant in the room now, the the Harris and, and Blitzer dalliance, or really more than the dalliance with the purchase of Chelsea over the summer. Obviously, they got beat to that in the end by, beaten to that by Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital. But, but you know, they were keen. They were backers of Sir Martin Broughton's bid for Chelsea Football Club and quietly sort of slipped back into, oh, yeah, we'll just go back to the owners, owners of Crystal Palace, London rivals now. So it's, it's an interesting one. And, and again, probably something that we should, track over the next few years to see where it all goes. Do you think that that is something that is going to be an ongoing sort of looking out the looking out the window f- from them or, or will they now sort of fall back into position and think well okay that didn't happen so let's let's kick on with what we we hope to do here. Well I think we should probably acknowledge that elite clubs Champions League winners like Chelsea don't come up in the market very often and it was fairly exceptional circumstances as to as to why that happened um, over the summer, well, towards the end of last season, actually. And I think it was just too tempting and off a, a chance, an opportunity for them to pass up. But, you know, it did have serious implications for Crystal Palace and they sort of almost went a bit forgotten amid, amidst the protests and the, the glitz and glamour of, oh, we can buy a Chelsea football club. But I suppose once that's happened once, you, the concern is always there. Let's put it like that. I mean, they're, they're businessmen. They're, they're, they're investors. They, they want a return on their investment. To make Palace profitable properly, you do need to redevelop Sellers Park. You do need the commercial monies coming in. And you do need Palace to be stable in the Premier League so that the, uh, the, the media right money comes in as well. So they've got to address both of, both of those aspects of their ownership to make it uh, a potentially profitable one. And we heard from from Steve Parrish around the the Wolves match talking about that that big aim to, you know, establish Crystal Palace in a in a secure position, but also very much as one of those sides who might pop in and out of of Europe once in a while. I mean that that is the that is the next step now, isn't it, Matt? And it, and it's 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 realistic when you look at that group of of sides and also when you look at the next set of fixtures I know that you know we're only 10 games into the season the next six Everton Southampton West Ham Forest Fulham and Bournemouth that can that can really kick you on into a decent position come Christmas can't it yeah I think there's a a good opportunity for Palace to pick up some points it's never going to be easy they need to build some momentum and some consistency that's why the win against Wolves is really important it helps to build that momentum to, to be free unbeaten they're not great at winning back-to-back on the Vieira. I think it's only twice, like two sort of sets of, of time where they've actually won consecutive games under Vieira. They've drawn too many games under Vieira. Um, if they can turn those draws in into wins, then I think that's where you're looking at the difference between sort of mid-table, sort of top half of the table and, and even possibly looking at, at, at Europe. It feels like there is a long-term plan there to build towards you know potentially competing in Europe and I think that's what they will look at in the long run and see Paris is clearly very ambitious he has mentioned you know Palace in Europe before he he clearly wants to see that that would be an incredible achievement for this club they don't have the financial muscle that some other clubs do but that's why they've looked to this kind of recruitment model to to sign younger players and with that you know you do run the risk of of having them poached by other clubs, but that kind of comes within the model. 
um, because you're selling them on for massive profit and then you're reinvesting that in younger players again and the cycle continues and you hope to supplement those with some academy players. But yeah, this season, I think Palace will be looking to to make progress in terms of finishing a similar position, maybe you know one or two places higher, maybe getting more points. But last season was very unexpected. The success of last season was very unexpected. Tip for relegation by a lot of people, but they did really well. And I think this season, they just need to find that consistency. And they've got a run of games where at the start of the season, they played Arsenal, they played Liverpool, they played Manchester City, they played Chelsea. So that's a lot of really difficult, it was a really difficult opening to the season. And now they've got an opportunity to put some results together. Final word to you, Dom. So the, the club in a decent position, team in transition, heading in the right direction with a with a mix of experienced, talismanic players and, and young bucks, up-and-coming manager who's learning on the job and seems to have established a, a disconnect between his great career and the way to, to coach in a, in a modern way. Thriving academy, stadium going to be redeveloped and rich backers. Just tell me life is good as a Crystal Palace uh, fan <laughs> and someone who covers the club in, in detail, please. Well, it is. We've never had it so good. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, it's sometimes when you're in it and, and you're fretting constantly about what happens if they fall out of it, you become obsessed with that and you, you spend your life wondering what the implications of relegation would be now. But they've never had it this good. This is the longest Palace have ever spent in the division. We're looking at a decade unprecedented times and they've got as you say they've got an owner with real vision who's got the, the club at his his very core at, the, at his heart a lot going right the, the wonderfully attacking lavish attacking talents and good young defenders and an academy that in a thriving part of well a part of South London that is brimming with talent and they should be able to harness that and compete for that talent so actually, yeah, we can whinge about the occasional dodgy substitution or the uh, spate of last-minute concessions, but we've never had it this good before. Believe me, it could be a lot Worse, gentlemen, believe How me. How much do you want for Ishmael Asar now? <laughs> you'll go, yeah, yeah, and you'll snaffle up a few bargains over the next couple of uh, couple of transfer windows as well to boot. Uh, Matt, Dom, thank you very much indeed. It's it's been great to do, dig into the world of uh, Crystal Palace. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast for thorough, in depth Premier League wide coverage and so much more. Besides, simply subscribe to the Athletic for just one pound a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll be back with you soon. The Athletic.